And uh, so, as I prayed again about it, <clears throat> I felt that the Lord wanted us to receive this word as we prepare ourselves in this fast. Now, we've had some other teachings throughout the hundreds of teachings, at least, that have happened in this church for me at this altar. And one was being cloaked with humility. And, of course, we always know that we have the, the boldness to declare and to overcome. I think we want to set a, a ground, a framework here. And that is, if indeed we're accurate, and I believe we are, point on, about our calling in the time we live in to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, we know that we need to be overcomers. It's very clear to that. Revelation tells us that we are those who have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. You know, we project it and we make it third party as if we're talking about something in the future, as if we're reading a science fiction novel. And all John could say is that these are those who have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. I firmly believe that's you and that's me and everybody who is prepared to do what we're called to do at this time in the earth. And that's to overcome. There's a lot to overcome. And there's going to be a lot more to overcome. And we've discussed over and over that the greatest challenge for us, the first challenge, the biggest priority in our walk besides loving God and serving God is to overcome ourselves. We need to overcome ourselves. And we have to learn how to do that. We need to be equipped. And so there was a series that I did on the makings of an overcomer. We should probably revive that series and make it available because it was a long one. And it was a preparation for exactly where we're at now, even though those three years back or so, <clears throat> I wasn't doing it with that in mind. It was being led by the Spirit, the makings of an overcomer. And... I want to get to that in a moment, but first I want to talk a little bit about boldness and humility. Now, say, being said together, it's almost like an oxymoron, isn't it? An oxymoron is something which the words apparently appear to contradict, uh, contradict each other. Uh, for example, like saying, uh, you know, falsely true right? It's falsely true. Can't happen. Um, or humble brag. Can't happen. Uh, but humility and boldness are indeed what we are to be anointed with and cloaked with. And so we don't look at that the way the world looks at it. We look at it the way the Lord looks at it. And we have several examples. They are not opposite. Uh, put together, they're a powerful combination that we need, that everybody needs that's walking in the Lord these days to overcome the world. So we want to reset our, our pulse with this. And uh, we want to be able to walk out of here today receiving a cloak of humility, but also um, in activating more boldness. And to be able to do so that we're not putting ourselves in a place of arrogance or even worse than that of offense as we go forward. Now, the meaning of humility is not as some would. It's not being so shy, so meek, that you know, you're just the last person in the room hiding in the corner that never speaks out. Um, that's not humility. Uh, humility uh, is, is not being proud or haughty, correct? And it's not being arrogant. And in the world, it would say not being assertive, but that contradicts boldness, doesn't it? So we don't accept that definition. In the Bible, it is a practice of meekness, right? And there are scriptures we'll get into, but also of obedience to God. And it's respect for, for yourself and for others. But it is also being submissive to honor, to authority, and to the word of God. That's humility. People that walk in the Lord and scripturally exercise humility put God first in their lives and then other people's needs more in their lives. In our instance, we bought into a long time ago, 
Um, and as I shared in the memorial yesterday, that as we stepped out in 2008 of March and opened up this little website because the Lord was just beginning to prepare to call me out of the service as a senior pastor of, of the English church in the largest Spanish church in the country, uh, we just sent out a little trickle, and that trickle was based on seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will add everything else to you. So for us, it's to seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, and then he adds everything unto us. That's the inversion of what the world does. The world seeks for itself. And then even people that are religious, they put God next. I one time <coughs> was preaching on the Salem Network and was live, and I preached that, you know, we need to put God first. And one of the callers called in and said, well, from my denomination, they say that I shouldn't serve God until... I first of all have my family in order. I said, really? And he said, uh, yes. And you would know the denomination. It's one of the biggest ones in the country. You have several of those churches right around this area. And they still adhere to that, that you need to have your family in order to be properly codified in the Bible as, as a bishop or a leader, you know, a man or a woman who's who's orderly. Well, if that was God's requirement, I don't know how many of you would be sitting here today. I wouldn't. Um, if I was waiting to have everything in order when I didn't even know how to put it in order, I would have never served, right? And um, so I answered him and I said, that's not truth. And he said, but it's one of the canons of our leadership classes. <laughs> Some of you took those leadership classes. I said, you said it correctly, that's a canon of a class made by man. But Jesus didn't even have his house in order, did he? Did he? No. You would say, what? What? He didn't? No, he didn't. Um, you know, uh, his old mom didn't know what to do with him multiple times. She finally towed the line. Uh, his father drops out of the quotient. We don't know about him at all. Um, his brother didn't really know who he was either until after he was resurrected. So if he'd have waited to get his house in order, he'd still be waiting and they would have been dead and gone. And for you and I, you, you know, um, houses can become fractured. Children can become wayward. There can be, unfortunately, splits in marriages. We understand that just because people are believers doesn't insulate them from that, that, that problem. In fact, to the contrary, the percentage of people that get separated and divorced in the church is about equal to the world. There's really no difference. So what does that tell you? There's too much of the world in the church. And nobody should live in an abusive relationship, that's for sure. So I'm not contradicting that, and I'm not in any way whatsoever uh, criticizing that. What I'm saying to is it's a fact. It's a fact. And if we understand that's a fact, then we know that we're called to seek first the kingdom of God, and then he'll begin to help us put everything in order. Not that we put everything in order and he supplies all of our needs, and then we go seek the kingdom. I know of a man that I love very much and, and that, who abided by that, and in, in my opinion, you know, he, he's so gifted and talented that he never really got out to do everything God gave him to do. Because, you know, we follow those edicts. Now, that's a godly thing to do. You know, serve your family. Husbands and wives serve each other. Children serve your parents. Parents serve your children. Turning the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children is what we're called to do. But it doesn't mean that, you know, first of all, we have to be perfect. Uh, you're not going to get there. So in that instance, we begin to pursue to seek the kingdom of God first, and then we understand and end his righteousness, and then he will supply all of our needs. Now, how do we seek the kingdom of God? That's unto your calling. For me and for this house, we are firmly committed to kingdom, 
kingdom first. And in so doing, um, we have somewhat resisted being, being absorbed into one moment, one movement, one cause, one ministry. Uh, we, we've tried to keep our hearts open to kingdom, and if it's kingdom, we're all in. If it's not kingdom, we're all out. It's become very clear in my walk that that helps me not to become confused nor to be stretched beyond what we're called to do. If it's kingdom, my ears are wide open and my heart is there. If it's not kingdom and I sense itself or ego or somebody's ministry or their cause, then I'm somewhat not as interested. And you'll find out that the longer you're around, you'll continuously have demands put upon you from some very well-intending people, but their vision and their mindset has not yet come to the place of all kingdom. If we start at that place of all kingdom, then everything else begins to fall in place. And Jesus made it so clear to us when he said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. And, and then also when he taught us how we ought to say a prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy you know, thy thy where? As where? In heaven. So that tells us that we're supposed to bring heaven to earth, but in the form of his kingdom. A lot of people want to bring heaven to earth in the form of other things. Hmm? If you want a good selling book as somebody who has a little bit of a following, write about heaven. Write about heaven, those books sell. Every publisher will tell you that. I had a publisher tell me, why don't you write about heaven? And I said, what do you want me to write about heaven? And he said, well, there's a lot of books about heaven. I said, exactly, do we need really more books about heaven? I said, what I could tell you about heaven is I want to go there and I'm not sure what it's all about, but I want to be there rather than the other place. Book is over. However, we are to bring the things of heaven on earth and we can't do that ourselves. We need to do that in the spirit. We need to do it together. And, and the Lord says to seek those things. If he tells us to seek it, it means nobody's totally found it. Or else all of a sudden that word's fulfilled and it's meaningless. But the word of God is forever and its, its potency is forever. So it's just as real to you now, son, as it is to whatever you've done already, you're still seeking the kingdom of God. I'm still seeking the kingdom of God. I will never quit seeking the kingdom of God until I'm in the kingdom of God in heaven or the kingdom of God is here. I won't be here when it comes. Some of you may be. I know who I am and what I'm meant to be. Nevertheless, it doesn't change. The kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And I told you before, it broke my heart once. I was just a young pup in the Lord just freshly out of the Orthodox temple, and there was something going on. It was ecumenical at the uh, local Jewish center. I forget who told me. They said, you ought to go. You might really like it because they've got a priest. And, of course, you all know I went to Catholic high school, had four years of religion, right? Um, they said it has a rabbi. You all know I came out of the Orthodox and the other church, so, uh, and the other temple, so that had meaning to me. It was supposed to be an Episcopalian fellow, and I, didn't. I used to be the janitor in Episcopalian church. So I sort of had all these different stuff. I didn't really get anything out of the Episcopalian church but dirty hands and a paycheck, but it was okay. So I went, and I was brand new in the Lord. I mean, when I tell you spanking new, I, you know, my understanding of Scripture was mostly what you would refer to Old Testament because that's what I'd been studying. The Torah, the books of the prophets, and then all of a sudden the New Testament came alive to me and I believed that Jesus was the Messiah and I was eating as much as I could, but I was just one confused ball of wax. I didn't understand much. So I went there. I went there with the intent of just listening and I was sitting next to a really old Jewish fellow that I knew from the temple. He used to have a shoe store. And he looked at me, and uh, we were sitting beside each other, and I think he knew I'd already gotten thrown out of the temple. And he said to me, do you believe this? 
He said, somebody put this thing in my mailbox. And he handed it to me, and it was from the Jehovah Witnesses. But to him, a Jehovah Witness was a Christian because they weren't a Jew. And he said, look at this. They're, they're talking about the kingdom of God. The ki- can, you, can you hear such a thing about the kingdom of God? And how could there be such a thing as the kingdom of God here or anywhere other than with God? And I didn't have an answer for him because I didn't know. And I just had to look at him and say, very interesting. I don't know what to say to him. I didn't even know much about the Jehovah Witnesses. I didn't know anything. I was just there to take in some information. And I got what I went for. I'll share that in a second. But that nagged at me for a long time. And it nagged at me to where I kept praying, Lord, I want to know how to, how to describe the kingdom of God if somebody ever asked me again. And then I realized that I need to be in the kingdom and know the kingdom before I can talk about the kingdom. And that began to change my heart to seeking the kingdom of God early on as a little puppy in the Lord. And in so, I offended a lot of people because I resisted a lot of things. And in my boldness, sometimes too bold, too assertive, I would resist anything that didn't fit what I wanted to see as the kingdom of God. And then the Lord kept working on me and working on me and still is. The kingdom of God is you know, has so many different explanations to it, right? You sow a little thing and it grows fast. It's like a mustard seed and all of a sudden it's the biggest plant in the earth. And we understand that the kingdom of God is, is beyond any comprehension. It's irrigated from the Lord God himself and that we're the vessels for the kingdom of God. And if we'll be those vessels and seek the kingdom of God, he will use you to establish his kingdom here on the earth, and we're doing that right now. But first and foremost, we have to deal with ourselves. Because if not, then our mirror of the kingdom of God is not a pleasant one. What we're showing of the kingdom of God is one that's dysfunctional. And that's exactly the kingdom that the wider body of Christ is showing right now is a dysfunctional kingdom of God. I could get into it, let's just cut the chase so that you'll agree and those who are watching online and however this goes out. We understand that it doesn't matter what the label is on on the religion that right now many, many, many are sideways, right? Uh, Purpose-driven life, that fellow's sort of crossed the line in a lot of different ways. And, you know, he sold $32 million worth of his thing and somehow found a different path. Nice guy, message sounds good, but he's opened the door to a few other things. Most of the denominations are struggling with how to deal with LGBT and the diversity issues and how to deal with it in leadership and how to deal it within the church. How to be all inviting, but at the same time, not offending anybody by preaching the true word of God. And by not offending people, they're not offending people right into hell because it's the word of God that establishes the truth and the morality of the kingdom of God, not men and women who decide to get together in a boardroom and determine what's right for a particular denomination. That's called the business of the ministry. Jesus didn't like it too much back in his day, and he doesn't like it right now. And so we resist the business of the ministry, and we honor the kingdom of God. And the business of the ministry is the Father's business. Jesus said it so clear, I'm about my Father's business. We need to be about the Father's business alongside with Jesus. Now, having laid that foundation, let's look at Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, for a moment, if we will, please. Colossians 3, verse 12 through 17, if you will. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Stop right there for a moment. That interpretation put on 
is taken from what was intended to say wear. It is if you're putting on your clothes in the morning. Wear in your soul, wear in your spirit. Cover your flesh with tender mercies. Now, tender mercies work two ways. One, it's for us to be merciful, and it's also to be knowledgeable of the tender mercies of God. We've established and shared with each other multiple times that even though we're saved by grace, that's a process once we've come into the Lord, but it's his mercy that preserved us until we got to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. It's just the mercy of God. After that, it's the grace of God. And the grace of God sustains us as it did Paul. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, right? Plug your own name in, his grace is sufficient for you. For me, it wasn't about grace, it was about the mercy of God. God was merciful to spare me in a place that was dark and gone and I had absolutely zero thought and love for God. Possibly the same for you. Put on kindness. You notice that these are yoked together. These aren't separate. So we begin to see what is that cloak of humility, that cloak of mercy, that cloak of kindness and meekness and long-suffering. Next verse. Bearing with one another. Now that's a challenge, right? I mean, I already know I could be difficult to get along with. And uh, I'm a little too old to change it too much, so you just have to take me like I am. I admit it. I, I'm not very ecumenical. In fact, I'm anti-ecumenical. I don't do well in those in those situations where they want to put everybody together along with the Iman and the Buddhist print and all that crap. I, 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 I don't have any time for it. I don't have any tolerance for it. I don't have any patience for it. And I won't do it no matter what. So that becomes what? Perceived as arrogance? Or does it become as the fear of the Lord? But you see, you come to a place in your maturity of your life where you, you put the barriers up, and you say, I'm not going that path. I'm not going to go there. No matter what, Lord, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to take my shoes off in the mosque out of respect to who? It's Some people say, well, you're respecting those people that are in there. No, ultimately, you're, you're respecting another God. I ain't doing it. I'd rather stay outside of it and just say, I'm sorry. I tell them the truth. My faith won't allow me. And I've done that many times, multiple times. I've gone into places where there's been a Buddha and I leave because I don't want to be in that place. I've gone into places, I had an office in Pittsburgh as an asset manager and that office had a Buddha in it with incense and, and, and it had a match to it and it had dollar bills around it. And that was the sacrifice of that altar and the person that brought me in wanted me to save that asset for him. And I very, very quietly and respectfully packaged it all up in a box and sent it to him. To which he called me the day it arrived, said, what did you do? He said, you know, we, we don't, that's not what we do. I said, I'm sorry, doctor, but that's what I do. I said, it was either me or that. And I figured since you hired me, it's me and it's not that. I said, I could have thrown it away. God forbid, I sent it to you. And, you know, being respectful is somebody being hired by somebody. You'd say, well, you ought to respect them in the place they're at. No, not when it comes to making a choice for the things of God. I'm sharing this because you're going to have to make choices. I'm going to have to make choices, dramatic choices in the world from this day forward that are very difficult. What will you partake in and what won't you partake in? What will you allow in your house and what won't you allow in your house? What will you do and what, what won't you do? Sometimes it's in the name of art. Artwork, huh? Artwork gets a pass on everything. It can be lewd, crude, demonic. It can be anything. It gets a pass because it's creative. But not so to the Lord. 
you know, you could have called Dagon a, a, a nice sculpture. You saw what the Lord did with that. He knocked it down one time. They didn't get the message, so he chopped its head off. Knocked it down a second time. The impurities we have to get out of our lives, out of our houses, out of who we are, if we're going to be overcomers. They may seem slight in the world and slight in the, in the whole matrix of things, but the truth of the matter is it's enough. It's enough to be an impediment in your life and to cause problems. So many times as a ministry, and as Patty and my wife and others, they go into people's houses, they, they see things that people have in there innocently, and they wonder why there's discord in the house, wonder why the children are tormented. It's because these things are in their homes. There was a dear friend of ours who had a bunch of elephants in her house, and we, bless her heart, she loves the Lord, and she's probably listening. And the minute I explained to her and opened her eyes what they were, she said, get them out of here. And we loaded them up and took them out. Never asking what the value of them was. They probably had a lot of value because she likes good things. But what is the value? If you paid $1,000 for a demon in your house, you just want to keep it because it has value? You know, you can't buy the peace of the Lord. I'm saying these things because we have to make a lot of choices, don't we? The way that it's always been to sequester the people of God and the move of God is to deal first of all with the family, the nuclear family, typically the father first, destroy fatherhood, destroy honor between parents and children, between husbands and wives, destroy the family, go after the family. And after you go after the family, go after the children and try to brainwash the children, try to water down the children, take the prayer away from the children. We've been doing a really good job of all that stuff. Take, Bible out, take God out of the history. It's no longer the history of God. Take godly people out of history. Hold them accountable for one sin while others don't look at the sin in their own eyes. Cancel culture is literally, in this country, trying to cancel out the Judeo-Christian ethic that this country was founded upon. That's the bottom root of that cancel culture. And it comes in all kind of names, you know. We need to be more sensitive to what happened in the past to people. Well, then I guess what we ought to do is cancel out all the Italians because they're from Rome and the Romans killed Jesus. Can I go on? Cancel out all the Germans because they killed the Jews. Let's cancel out the Jews right now because they're defending themselves in Gaza. Let's cancel out the godly men because they're not tolerant of the rest of it. Let's cancel out churches or at least the holiness of churches so that we don't lose numbers and people because numbers and people are coming less and less to church. So the answer must be we've got to become more like the world. I could go on and on, correct? We know how dark it is. It's not going to get better. I know there's a lot preaching. It's going to get, no, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. That's the time we live in. Jesus himself said, unless he cuts the day short, nobody would be able to make it. That's how tough it's going to be to overcome. And you might say right now, my, my faith is strong. I'm going to get there. Keep praying that. Because all the forces of evil in the world are against you. Understand that. Every moment that you're still breathing on the earth, there are forces that are absolutely aligned to destroy you. Don't let your guard down. And this, this tells us how to do such things. We bear one another. We forgive one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you almost must do. And we know that's always been a problem, forgiveness, but it's going to be a bigger problem because you're going to be persecuted more. If you can't handle it, I don't know what to tell you. You need to get tougher. I've often preached, and I use it for myself, is to have a very thick skin so I don't allow offense in as best I can, but a very, very vulnerable soul and heart. Knowing that I'm going to get wounded. Knowing I'm going to get used. Knowing that I'm going to be persecuted. I know that. I've accepted that a long time ago, 
and have learned how to not defend myself and ask others to defend me because I'm not understood. When the Lord moves, people will understand and hear your word when the time comes. We don't promote ourselves. We don't advance ourselves. That's not humility. The Lord does. Next verse. But above all these things, put on love. Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. You and I aren't capable of having the love that we require to be overcomers. You are incapable of it. I don't care how many books you read. I don't care how many times you say I love you. I don't care what your perception is of love. You are incapable of it without it being the fullness of the love of God. That's the love that we're talking about. It's the highest level of love. The way that Jesus could explain it the most, and he had no other way of trying to make it as potent as he could, he says, there's no greater love than someone to lay down themselves for a friend. And he was ultimately talking about himself, and we understand that the sacrifice of our own life for somebody or something is ultimate love. That's ultimate love. But we can't love each other day to day and in ourselves without the love of God. So one of the things that we should be pursuing as we seek the kingdom of God is to seek the love of God within ourselves and through ourselves. And you love by giving. You love by being bonded together. You see, I, I feel like the most precious blessed person in pastoralship because of you. I'm blessed. I don't need to stand in front of 100,000 people that we don't know each other. We have no relationship. I, I don't need to, and I don't want to get lost in the flurry of that what, what becomes dizzy. I feel for friends of mine, and I've watched them as they've been gravitated out, and I've preached beside them, and for some reason, all of a sudden, they're preaching a message that's not the gospel anymore. It's about motivation. I've had too many of my friends that took the skills and gifts God gave them, and they wanted to make a business out of it, and so they called it Corporate, corporate counseling. And all of a sudden, the corporate counseling became the priority and the mission of the gospel of God became second. You know how many corporates want to hear about Jesus Christ and they'll keep hiring you? Not too many. Because you know why? Because you're going to offend somebody in that corporation. You start applying the principles of the gospel and the truth of God into a corporate structure, very few are going to tolerate you. And you'll probably get them a lawsuit. And somebody will turn into human resources. So the love, next. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Do you have peace of God in your heart? That's a telltale sign that you need to spend more time seeking the relationship with God. When you don't have peace, you can call it all kind of things. So and so, this, that, I've got this problem, I've got that. But the root of that problem is you're not spending any time with God. Seek first the kingdom of God. You can't seek the kingdom of God without God. And then he'll take care of all those other things. My mother's statement that she always said when everybody was going away was, Pacia del Signore, the peace of God be with you. Pacia del Signore. So even though we could grieve, as I went through a lot of grieving in the last week, I still had peace. My peace wasn't gone. And you see, I learned a long time ago, it's okay to grieve. 
It's not a weakness. Jesus grieved. Strongest man ever walked on earth, emotionally, spiritually, likely physically. I'm sure if he wanted to, he could have picked up a, a, a cement truck. Certainly his angels with him. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Notice he keeps bringing in one body. It's because together we're stronger. It's because together we can do what we can't do by ourselves. It's because the whole kingdom is about the body of Christ, not about the business of a ministry, not about the theme of a ministry. You see, we can prepare the way of the Lord without, without exiting or criticizing all of the other gifts and callings of God in ministries, faith, love, even prosperity. It's all good. Healing, wonderful. All of that is to prepare the way. But isn't it interesting that in that first move of God to prepare the way, and now we've entered into the second, it started before John the Baptist. It actually started with Isaiah and the prophets. It goes all the way back to Abraham, truth be told. But isn't it interesting that we never hear anything about John. He didn't convert any, you know, water into wine. He didn't raise the dead. He didn't heal anybody. He didn't prophesy, you know, everybody's lunch and tell them what was going to happen. And he wasn't heralded as a, somebody that had all the, the prophetic words down pat. He had one message, prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And yet Jesus called him the greatest prophet that ever lived. You see, because that's kingdom. He was sold out for kingdom. Nothing else. So you take all the rest of it and you measure it against that. It's all about kingdom. The kingdom. Count it all joy. Oh, I feel the power of God so strong. Count it all joy to be called to serve the kingdom of God. Especially in this time. And God always gives the anointing that's equal to and greater than the call. We can't overcome without the anointing to overcome. You can't do it on yourself just like you can't find Jesus on yourself. You can't become good enough to be saved or redeemed. You can't be good enough to overcome. But in Him we can do all things. But we have to be in Him and He in us. Christ in you is I can do all things through Christ who? Give me one of these. Christ who strengthens me. You know, I like football. I'm not ashamed that I like football. I can't play football. I don't think I could stand one smack. Uh, but I like to watch it and I understand the game have for a long time and you know I'm so proud of a young man that's overcoming who set records last night I know some of you are upset he beat the Cleveland Browns but I'm not because the Cleveland Browns spent a whole lot of money on a bum and they got what they deserve this man stood up and he praised God and he did so consistently in his college career. Most people don't know it, but he watched his daddy get hauled off to jail. He had no daddy on the playground when the other kids did. He rebelled and went to the streets for about a year until his mama slapped him. Found a coach that would take him and began to work with him out in California. He was... 20 miles away from another young man whose parents were both professionals, I think one a doctor, one a psychologist, both of them coming from an Afro-American black family, one who had a lot and the other who had nothing. And he always just couldn't get quite what the other one was getting. They would compete and the other one just got recognized more. 
They went to the seven-on-sevens, and that one, if you know what they are, he got grouped with the best seven-on-sevens, and he got grouped with the second-tier seven-on-sevens. And he did well. He excelled, and he got watched by a coach from Ohio State who said, that kid, even though he's not a five-star, that kid's got something, and he took him. And he was always in the shadow of the other one. Stroud was always in the shadow of Bryce Young. He was in the shadow of him. Even in the playoffs, he was in the shadow of him at the Heismans. He was in the shadow of him at the draft. He didn't get drafted first. But he never lost his faith. And he always said, I owe it all to my faith in the Lord. And he said it again yesterday, before and after. And he pointed up and he recognized the Lord in all that he did. Even when he was getting drafted, the goat, you know, Brady, tried to slam him the week of the drafting. How do you do that to a poor kid that came out of a neighborhood with nothing? Just keep your mouth shut. And he said he's, he only scored 17% on his knowledge of football test. He's never gonna make it. He's not smart enough to understand pro football. <laughs> He's breaking all the records. Now called the most accurate passer in the NFL maybe ever. And when they asked him about it, he said, hey, I didn't come to study football. I came to play football. The Lord made me a gift to play football. You see, I know a lot of people don't see a lot in that. I see a lot in that. I see overcomer in that. And you know what? He never railed a word against anybody else that he was competing with. Not one bad word. Not even a bad word against Brady. When he tried to kill the kid's career, you see, if people would have listened to him and you fall off and you, how you get drafted, you lose millions and millions and millions of dollars. That was nasty, what he did as the goat. He went from one impression in my mind as the goat to the goat. I lost all respect for him. I said, man, if you only knew this kid's story, why do I share that with you? God loves to lift up the ones who can't to be the overcomers. And we have to persevere. We can't give up, beloved. Don't give up. Don't give up. You lost a dream. Okay, there's another one. You have an obstacle. So what? There'll be more. You get thoughts in your mind and fears, overcome them with the faith of God. Get in the Word of God. In the Word of God is the answer. That's where you find all the answers to everything that you need. We spend our lives getting degrees and studying for licenses when the truth of the matter is we're supposed to do that, but first and foremost, we need to learn the Word of God. That's the path that's light unto our feet that directs our steps. <coughs> I'm a very busy person. Not too busy for the Word of God. I'm going to be truthful to you today. In the flesh, I didn't want to come. I was wrung out, wore out, weary, still trying to recover. All the reasons in the world even my beloved wife saying, why don't you let somebody else handle it, honey? She didn't say it to be mean. She said it out of love for me because she knows I don't quit. And you know what? <clears throat> I just said to myself this morning, I'm going to church. I can go to church. I'm healthy enough to breathe. I want to see my people. I want the support of my people, and I want to support my people. And you know what, God? I don't know what I got in me, but whatever it is, you ring it out and give it. I'm not going to lay myself down away from what you've called me to be. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to have other priorities. We can be bold because we know who we are in Him. We have the power to declare with our mouth and speak things that aren't as if they are. 
as long as it's the Word of God and in the will of God. That's amazing, is it not? There are people that try to change it. They call it the power of optimism and the power of this and the power of that. The truth of the matter is what works is the power of God. And it's unfailing. And when we know that we walk with Him and in the power of God, no matter what something seems to be, we can see through it to the next step. We may not see it clearly, but we know it's coming because all things do work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purposes. They really do. How many of you really, really can say, you don't need to put your hand up, can really, really say, you know what, I, I believe that. I believe all things work together for good. And you might have to slap yourself and say, okay, okay. You know, I'm, I'm trying to measure it by what didn't work. Don't do that. As a new creation, you've got to let those old things go and believe in the new things of God. That's where you have to control your flesh and your mind. And then the opposite side of that is I can do it. You're not coming out and saying I don't need God, but you're not asking God to help you. I can do it. Well, you'll get some of it done. Probably work twice as hard and you might not hold on to it, but when you do it with God, guess what? He goes before you, not after you. Is he after you or before you? How's our walk? I just do my thing first and then go to God or I go to God first and we do our thing. I can tell you I have to work at that all the time. I get pulled and stretched. You do too. That's a card of working out our faith. That's why that scripture says work out your faith with the fear of the Lord. You got to work it. You got to work it. I don't know about you but nothing comes easy to me. Money doesn't just show up in my account pay my bills, help my children. It doesn't help. I got to work it. I'm 72 years old. I'm still pounding and working. And you know what? I'm okay. I've accepted that a long time ago. That it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be able to, to work and to preach. It's okay to work because you work. Huh? Hmm? Nothing's more amazing than a pastor telling you, don't worry about it, God's going to give you everything you need, and you watch them drive off to the golf course in their Cadillac, and they go into church to work three days a week. I mean, you know that. Most pastors don't do anything on Saturday. Friday's their preparation day. Monday's the day after Sunday, you've got to rest a little bit. That seems to be the culture, doesn't it? You can get a lot done on a Friday and Saturday if you're still working your kingdom, aren't you? You can get a lot done. So I want to fast forward to this. Numbers 12, verse 3. Would you call Moses being bold or humble? Which one? We know that he had a speech impediment, right? They believe it was he stuttered. But it, don't send me, send Aaron. Don't talk so good. That was him. God said, I'll send him with you, but you're going. Because the anointing to break Pharaoh was with Moses. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. What? How did God find this guy? Why did he find him? We know the story. He was put in a little basket when the, when, when the Pharaoh wanted to kill everybody, the king wanted to kill everybody, he was put in a little basket and, and sent down a river just to save him, and somehow he was found by Pharaoh's daughter and raised. Uh, amazing. God preserved him. And in all of that, he found humility. He had to understand what it was to have the heart of a murderer 
in order to have the heart of a Savior. And he's the one that is called the Gael, the first Gael, G-O-E-L. Gael in Hebrew is Savior. Christ is Savior. Moses was the Gael. To this day, in the Hebrew language, in the Hebrew religion, Moses is the one who's considered the deliverer of the Jewish people, the Gael, while they're waiting for the other one to come, the Messiah. Very humble of all the men in the face of the earth, but yet when he got in front of Pharaoh, he didn't blink. He didn't blink. He was bold. When his own wife, Miriam, and Aaron went against him and mocked him and asked him, who did he think he was and blasphemed the anointing of God? They didn't realize who they were blaspheming. God put an illness and a sickness upon Miriam. What did Moses do humbly but yet boldly? Lord, I pray, heal my wife. Humble but bold. And God did. He got a little too bold, struck a rock, paid a price for it. Because he forgot the humility that it was God, not him, for one moment. One blinking moment. So God has given us the Holy Spirit to, to balance us, to comfort us, to help us to understand the way we should do it. Beloved, when we believe what God has to say about a godly boldness, then we shine through. And it manifests in us, in our lives, the things we do, the things we choose to do, how God blesses us. Breaking away from something is one of the hardest things to do until we realize that if we're walking with God, He creates something new. It manifests. Humble boldness manifests as declaration power and ultimate faith. It does. Spoken from the mouth and the will of God. I have much more, but I'd like to just shoot to this. You know, we did a whole study on the seven churches. And we determined what the Lord was saying to each one in our overcomer study. And in the overcomer study, we singled out each one of, first of all, the compliments of God, and then secondly, the cautions of God. And to the church of Ephesus, he said that, you know, I know your works, I know your labors, and you've been patient, and you can't bear those who are evil, and you've tried those who say they are apostles. <laughs> oh, my Lord. You try those who say they are apostles. Otherwise, God said it's good to try those who say they are apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. And you've borne and have patience, and for my name's sake you've labored and have not fainted. That all sounds like a great attaboy from the Spirit of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? I mean, that's, that's almost equivalent to, well done, my faithful son. <laughs> that's almost there. But, nevertheless, chapter 2, verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Remember where you came from and repent and go back to those first works of love. And that's what happens to a lot of gatherings, a lot of churches, a lot of us, a lot of people. We get so full of ourselves with the things we're doing, we forget our first love. And the Lord said, I see all those labors. I'm, I'm happy with you. That's great. Keep doing it. However, you're not putting me first. 
We're not supposed to put the program before God. We're supposed to put God before the program. It's not about what you can do. It's about what he can do through you. And so the challenge is for all of us is to decrease that he increases in everything that we do. It's to have a relationship, first of all, with him and then with one another in him. Now, I know as gifts shine and things do, the tendency is to say, I can do this and I can do that. And I want to put myself in that position and I want to put myself in this position. And let's face it, we've all been in situations where we've listened to somebody, heard somebody, watched somebody, and we couldn't help it to where we said, I could do that better. Am I the only one? I could do that better. But the difference is God has anointed and appointed that person to do it. Like Moses. That's all, folks. He said, go, Moses. Because you are so humble in yourself. Watch what I'm going to do with you. And that's you and me. So if that ever starts nagging in your spirit that I could do it better, you know where that's coming from. Slap it down quick and honor and serve with the person God's put in that place to do what they're doing. That's one of the challenges in the body of Christ. Don't put functionality, I wrote, as a priority over relationship. Don't put program as a priority over relationship. Don't put position as a priority over relationship. I think we do well at every point, at every corner to turn and repent. That's what he says. And if we don't have the first love working, what he's saying in the word of God is that separates us from God. Anything that separates you from God is what? Say it. Sin. What? I could be working and laboring for God and he says I could be practicing sin. Yes. Because all of a sudden you have something else that's a priority over God and it separates you from God. And anything that separates you from God is sinful. Now, he does say this one. Same. Verse 7. Same chapter. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To, to him that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Wait a minute. Does that mean that that class of overcomers are the only ones that are going to heaven? I don't think so. I believe God's going to be very gracious for many people that don't fulfill their callings to still get into heaven. What it does mean is that there's a special place for overcomers with a special diet. It's called the tree of life. And it's in the midst of the paradise of God. Just like the tree in the garden. It's right there. I was dwelling on that this morning. And I said, Lord, that's a special place right in the kingdom. And that's a special place that you, you have to punch a card to get into. And, and it's called overcomer by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. And so I said, Lord, are we so blessed that you've made it very clear to us how to be an overcomer in this world today? So blessed that we can be those special people that gather around the tree of life, whatever that means, and to eat of it. What kind of fruit is that? I know one thing, it's divine fruit. I know it's God stuff. I know that it's been irrigated by the tears of Christ and the living waters of the Holy Spirit. I know that it was so holy unto the Lord that he protected it took it from earth to heaven. 
out of the garden to keep it away from sinfulness, flesh. I know it's in the very midst. It's right at the throne room of God himself. I don't know about you. I want to strive for that. I want to run the race. I want to get there. I want to overcome. I want my last breath to be that breath that says, Lord, I never stopped. I never retired. I never quit. Give it all. Take it all. Let's do it. Let's do it. Closing with this. Philippians 2, verse 5 through 7. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Keep going. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient even to the point of death, even the death of this cross. Let this mind be in you, says Paul. We talked about pouring oneself out. That's what Jesus did. That word about, you know what, I've taught it. it. Said that he poured himself out. He literally poured out the glory of his divine self to become man. He made one, one poor offering and then he made a second and a third. We have to pour ourselves out of the flesh. We have to pour ourselves out of our agendas, our priorities, our egos, and we have to pour him in. And the good news is it's not giving up, it's gaining. And he said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. In our mind, you were giving up something. No, you're receiving everything. It's just that this time now you're doing it with God, you and him, and he and you. So let us continue on in this month and let us renew a covenant with the Lord. The first watch, the watch that Brother Jimmy decided to go home on exactly at six o'clock <laughs> was his message to the house. Renew the covenant of God with yourself. He gave us a message in his dying moments it was prophetic, it was kingdom, it was loving you in this house. And that message is renew your covenant because that's what you do in the first watch. Renew your first love of God. And then everything else will find its path. I'm going to ask... Uh, Pastor Patty to take it from here. Um, however you're led in the spirit, and then we need to collect an offering too, whether you do that first or second. I'm gonna leave it to the two of you. If you don't mind, I'm still trying to stay away from people. I'm not here telling you I was super healed from COVID, you know, and I'm, I'm here in the strength of the Lord to be, Truth be told, I'm a little woozy, I'm a little dizzy, but I'm also not sure how much of that is just drunk in the Spirit of God. So it's all good with me. For those of you online, you join in with what they're doing. Don't cut off because I'm walking down. This is the good stuff now. This is where you make a covenant with God and you change. This is where you fall back in love with the Lord and allow his love to fill you. This is 
what the Lord himself says is to turn and repent. Not repent because you're just over hills in sin. Repent because you're mature enough to know there's still some more that you could squeeze out and to fall back in love with Jesus and with him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Can you so love God that you give yourself only with his love? 